0: Welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Leaders of Analytics is about data-driven decision-making, modern business leadership and the use of data and artificial intelligence in business and society. Each episode investigates the strategies, tools, techniques and leadership required to succeed in a world increasingly driven by data and analytics. The show's guests share their stories and experiences in a way that helps you understand the big concepts and small details that make all the difference in today's world of business. I am your host, Jonas Christensen, And I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaders of Analytics. My guest on this episode of Leaders of Analytics is Kate Sprajny. Kate is a well-known figure in the global data community. She is a master educator and prolific content creator who has built an online community of almost 200,000 followers. Through the DataCated brand, she runs online training, seminars, conferences, expos, and podcasts, while connecting data professionals across the world. She's also the author of four books in the data science genre and a marathon runner. I recently caught up with Kate to learn more about what it takes to keep up with the fast-paced and ever-evolving world of data and analytics. In this episode, we discuss the most important data science skills in the next 5 to 10 years, the most underrated skill in data science, how to make your day productive and enjoyable, career advice for someone starting out in data science today, minting nfts for the global data community and much more let's get to it here is kate kate strachny welcome to leaders of analytics it's fantastic to have you on the show
1: awesome thank you so much for having me here
0: yeah i'm really happy to have you on here Without further ado, let's get straight into the questions for today. So I've given a bit of an intro of you already, but in your own words, could you tell us a bit about yourself, your career back- background and what you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I started my career in risk management, financial services, and then About eight years ago or so, I sort of journeyed into data analytics, so it came sort of as an accident where I was looking for a role that simply kept me working from home because I was expecting my first child at the time. And at the moment, I was had a very busy schedule. I was doing consulting, traveling, late nights, weekends. And lucky for me, I was, you know, after several months of searching, I don't know if you can call that luck, I was able to find a role that happened to be a data analytics insight strategy manager. Had no clue what that meant, but I'm like, yes, I will do it. As long as it keeps me home, I will do whatever it takes And this is pre-COVID, so this was not the norm at the time to be able to work remotely. So I basically was given a data set as part of my first gig on the job, and I was given access to a data visualization platform. And it truly was love at first sight. I completely fell in love with data analytics, data visualization, data storytelling. And then I basically put all of my efforts into learning everything I can about this space, the data visualization, data science. I took courses. I've read every book I can get my hands on and ultimately started interviewing other data scientists, other data professionals. That was sort of how my data journey started. Fast forward to March, 2020, I ended up leaving my employer because I wanted to start my own company called Dedicated, which is uh, really focused on educating data professionals bringing communities together with conferences, live shows. We also do media partnerships for data companies to to help promote their data products, data services. And yeah, so I've been off on my own since March, 2020 and loving every minute of it.
0: Yeah, wow. And you know what? That really comes through in the content that you publish. I've been following your content for probably a couple of years now on LinkedIn. And first of all, there's just so much of it. And you can really see that passion that you have for the topic and your chosen vocation that you've fallen in love with. You can really see that shine through. And Kate, you have built this huge worldwide community of data lovers in what I'd say is a a very short time, really, just a few years. And anyone like me who has a LinkedIn profile has likely come across this content that you put out. Um, And you've created the Datacated brand, as you talked about as well, which does quite a lot of things. Could you tell us a bit about what Datacated is and what it's about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So interestingly, I don't even remember how how I came up with the term dedicated or dedicated, but essentially it means being dedicated to data, um, as well as the sound of my name, Kate, sort of baked into that. And I've had several people tell me I should call it Datacated with a K instead of a C, but... I think for, for whom English is not their first language, I think it would be a little bit lost on them with what data-cated really means. But yeah, essentially, the company is focused on a few different things. And I touched on this a little bit, but we started out as an academy teaching individuals how to use tools like Tableau, Power BI, and Click, and learning about the best practices for data visualization and data storytelling. And currently, we're transitioning that all into a community called Data-cated Circle, which if folks are interested in applying to join the Circle, it is free to join. You just have to go to circle.dedicated.com, and there's a quick application there. But the goal here now is to build a community of data professionals across all different industries, all regions, at all levels, and really across different professions within the data space. So think data analysts, data scientists, machine learning engineers, students who are just learning about the chief data officers. I want them all centrally located in this one-stop shop community where we'll have live sessions, we'll have courses. I'm currently porting my academy into the community to sort of have this one central place. And that's really all about the data professionals in the community. The other side of the business really is supporting companies that are innovating in this space and are trying to reach an audience. So luckily, I have been able to build a wide enough profile, I guess, on LinkedIn, where I, I do have the ears and eyes of some of the data folks out there who are looking for the next product to use. And so the, the way I really help organizations is, you know, help the, help them share their message by either going on the dedicated show putting out a dedicated feed newsletter or different methods really, where we just help educate the community on some of these new practices like data mesh, data fabric, data wear, educating them on some of this cool new technology that's coming out there that they simply have not heard of. And I get to just have so much fun just engaging and interacting with all my favorite people.
0: Yeah, you would no doubt have fun with that. And I think it's so valuable what you're doing there because as someone in this field, one of the things that give me fear of missing out or make me feel like I know nothing at times is just the vast amount of new tools and techniques that are coming out constantly. It's so hard to keep up with what actually matters. And frankly, we don't know what matters today, whether that's gonna matter in, in five years from a tooling perspective. How do you help navigate the students and others through choosing what to learn versus what not to learn?
1: Yeah, I think I think it all depends on what this specific individual's goals are, right? In in some cases, they simply want to get a job, let's say, as a data analyst and they just want to create dashboards all day. In that case, I usually tell them pick one tool, you know, let's say Tableau, Power BI, or Click, and learn this tool really well to the extent where you can just take any data set, put together a data visualization, put together some dashboards. Because the beauty of that is, let's say you end up getting a job and you know Tableau really well, if the company that ends up hiring you uses Power BI or something different, well, it doesn't matter that much because once you've mastered the proper data visualization best practices, you know when to use which chart, you know when to use which colors and sort of design principles then the tool itself is pretty similar. I always tell people it's, it's sort of like a kitchen inside a house, right? You have a kitchen. I, I'm assuming most people who are listening to this have a kitchen, unless they're one of the, like the cool people who live in a bus or van and then just travel the world. I have a few friends like that, but the majority will have a kitchen. And your kitchen will have forks and you'll have a drawer for your utensils and knives and plates. And similarly, Tableau will have a place where you can change the colors of the bars and change, you know, maybe the currency symbol in in front of your numbers. And then Power BI will also have sort of their kitchen, right? Things might not be located in the exact same places as they were in the kitchen that you were used to, but chances are they also have the forks and knives and all the formatting tools. So it's really a matter of just knowing where the things are. And it's a lot easier to learn that once you've already mastered one tool.
0: Great analogy. I love that kitchen analogy. And I think those tips are, are really helpful for someone starting out in their career because on the face of it, all these things are very similar and it's hard to pick which one to go for, but going for one and going deep and you, you, you'll learn something along the way that you can use across other things. Right, That's good. Now, Kate, you seem like a very productive person. So what does a typical day look like for you and what drives you to keep going at this pace?
1: Yeah, thanks. I, I'd like to think of myself as productive, but then again, you know, I'm looking at my huge to-do list of things I want to accomplish because I think I'm I'm very driven and motivated. Not sure exactly why, but there's just a million things I want to get done every single day. So I'll walk you through my my typical day and they they do range sometimes, but I essentially wake up at five o'clock in the morning, sometimes a bit earlier, sometimes a bit later, but on average, I'm up by five. I have my first coffee because I have two coffees per day and one has to be at 5 a.m. And then I get to my desk. So everybody's sleeping. I have two kids, two girls and my husband here who sleeps a little later. So I I sort of get the morning to myself between 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. And that's when all my productive work happens. It's interesting because sometimes I forget that I've even done the work because my body might still be sort of sleeping, right? It's you, know, you just wake up, I get all these emails out, and I'm like, wow, when did I do this? So those are my first two hours. Then 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. is typically for the kids. So making breakfast, packing their lunch, getting them to school. Then by the time I get home, you know, it's about 8:30. I have my breakfast. And then nine o'clock, it's it's sort of back to the office. My office is in my house, so it's very convenient very little travel time for me. And then from 9am to 2pm, I essentially take some calls. I only have about four slots a day that I tend to take calls. And yeah, 9am to 2pm, Monday through Thursday are my my work hours outside of that short er, early morning stint. After that, it's really about the kids again. So go pick up the kids, lunch, dinner, homework bath time, whatever, running and TV. Very minimal TV in my life, and some reading, and then off to bed like by nine thirty. That's my day. So, and that's just Monday through Thursday. Friday is typically cleaning and catch up and home stuff. And Saturday, Sunday, I, I just don't work. I just family time.
0: Yeah, good on you. I think that's what a lot of people struggle with these days. Is when we are working from home, it's a little bit like when you were a student. If you were that kind of student, there's always homework to do. You can always do more, and the office is just in the other room. So it's good to cut the weekends off like that.
1: Yes. It helps when you have kids. They don't really give you a choice. <laughs> You're like...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I used to get up at five like you many years ago. I, I don't do that anymore, but I can recognize the productive time that I got. It was amazing. and um, You can get so much done.
1: Why did you stop?
0: Why did I stop? I stopped because I wasn't getting enough sleep, basically. And I was doing it because I had a startup on the side and I was working full time and I started running out of mental energy from it, basically. So I took a break from it and I realized that I also need sleep in my life. And I think your, your approach sounds a little bit more balanced because I wasn't going to bed at 9.30, so that didn't kind of mesh. But those hours in the morning where you have your own time, there's no no one around the world is still asleep and it's just you. It can be really productive.
1: Definitely helps.
0: Now, Kate, dare I say that you're a bit of a data nerd? Sure. Okay. <laughs> like me, nothing wrong in that. And you're a prolific content creator in this field of data, data science, visualization, etc. And you've actually also written four books. Could you tell us a bit about these books and what made you write them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my first book, Journey to Data Scientist, I wrote simply because I was learning about the data science space and I was having similar conversations, you know, like just interviews with data scientists asking them, so how did you get to where you are? And I started that because I was full swing into wanting to become a data scientist. And I figured what better way to learn how to do this than to hear other people's journeys. And early on through my interviews I realized that this information might be interesting to other people in the world so I decided to to make this into a book just by self-publishing and it was a pretty simple task to do. The second book was The Disruptors and this is where I took a similar approach but decided to interview 10 famous or you know really well-known data scientists or data professionals and just simply hear their thoughts, right? So each each chapter in that book is dedicated to an individual sharing their story and their insights and sort of their wisdom off to the next generation. The book that came after that was the Mothers of Data Science. And again, similarly, sharing stories of mothers who became data scientists and seeing what advice they had to other women in this space and sort of the added factor of dealing with children. And I think that was an interesting way to share their stories. Last but not least, the data literacy for kids, so have to cover all the spectrums here, is a kid's book. It's an online book that I wrote with Jordan Morrow, who's, who's like the king of data literacy or the godfather of data literacy. I forget what he calls himself. But essentially, we got together at one conference for, I don't know, like an hour. And we sort of drafted this book together. It's very simple. It's it's for like six-year-olds to explain to them what data literacy is. So that was more of a a little fun side project. But now I'm actually working on my fifth book called ColorWise, which I actually might end up working with a publisher on this one, to talk about the importance of color when it comes to data storytelling.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And what I'm reading between the lines here is that you you just go and get it done and <laughs> you're not afraid to, to have a go at it. And I think that's a, really a lesson for a lot of people who are out there thinking about doing something. You're not waiting for the perfect publishing contract or just the right connection. You just get it done. And, and the magic happens around that. And uh, that's probably why you've been able to grow such a community in such a short time.
1: Yeah. I think it's important to simply do it. And, you know, this brings me to the one thing I think I didn't cover yet for the dedicated perspective is I also run conferences. So I'm I'm planning my fifth conference in March of 2022. And I've recently just started planning this out, but my first ever conference was in October of last year. And I remember I had I don't know less than two months to plan it, and I was talking to a friend of mine, Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer. We were just on a on a Zoom call, randomly chatting, and I'm like, Scott, you know, I think I should put together a conference, and he's like, Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe a few years from now, and I'm like, No, no, in two months, I'm gonna do a conference. I I decided to just go forward with it and try it because the best way to learn something is is by doing, right? And I figured what's the worst that can happen? A bunch of people get together and learn. We ended up having over 7,000 people register for this random data conference. So to me, it became so real so quickly. So then I ended up doing it again in February, May, and in October of of this year, and now planning my my fifth event.
0: And what would you say is unique or different about the data cater conferences?
1: A couple of things. So one is we are live on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. So it's 100% live. You won't see this polished, pre-recorded people dressed in suits and ties and slides up and going on and on. So that's one differentiator. So it's it's also very fast-paced. Speakers get about 10 minutes to provide their presentation. So they really have to simply get to the point and then because it's live, we actually take questions from the live audience. Uh, we we try to engage them as, as much as possible. And also there are giveaways. So throughout the live sessions, we also have fun little giveaways and contests and trivia. And each event has been different in a unique way. So we had one focused on the data analytics process, taking the journey from the beginning to the end. We had one that was focused on Different industries like healthcare, financial services, and food and beverage, and how data plays a role in that. Uh, so, really trying to spice things up.
0: Yeah, I love it. You're innovating in a few ways here in this conference space. When I think about it, because I'm I'm used to the uh, the old way of doing corporate conferences, where you go to a, a hotel and they've rented out an area in there, and there's stalls with all the vendors from different software companies that you have to meet. And yeah. It's either prohibitively expensive to attend or you're only attending by invite. Yeah. Whereas this is for everyone and very fast paced. Yeah. So uh, thank you for challenging the uh, status quo and uh, allowing the community to grow. Uh, now, Kate, back to your books there. So when I look at those books, all of them are created to help others succeed in the field of data science. I want to zoom in though on the topic of data science leaders, because this is the Leaders of Analytics podcast. Personally, I think that data science leaders have one of the toughest jobs in the corporate world at the moment, because they basically have to invent a new discipline and forge a path for themselves, rather than walking in footsteps of anyone before them. So what do you think are the traits that make successful data science leaders stand out and have an impact
1: Yeah, I think the leaders that will stand out in the future and those that have stood out in the past are those who understand the problems of the people. So what I mean here is if you want data analytics to grow as a profession or as a a field within an organization, showing the rest of the population the value that you bring to the table and really taking them on that journey is extremely important. So having that pulse of being, I guess, a good communicator, understanding what the people care about, what they want, making sure that your data team, when they're building products and they're, they're providing services, making sure that those are actually the services that matter. You'd think this is common sense, but then when you look across organizations, you'll notice data professionals building these great dashboards and building all these assets that get unused. They're just sitting there. Their adoption rate is extremely low because... They have not done the right job of understanding what is it that people actually need. It's not the build it and they will come. It's the what should we build and what how how can we help you do your job and what are you actually going to use? And I think it's still a journey that we're on as people are, are understanding the value of data, which I obviously get it. I'm sure you get it. But there are some people who still think that I'm used to doing this for the past 20 years and this is how I'm going to do it, right? They don't want to get on this data bandwagon because they either feel that it's maybe too complicated, that it's not based on the real results. You know, there's various reasons for why adoption rates could be low, but really having a focus on delivering business value is is what's going to make leaders stand out.
0: So really, you could say that... Analytics leaders are also in marketing, whether they like it or not. It's a internal marketing in the organization, if nothing else.
1: We're all in marketing. We're all in sales. Yes.
0: That's it? Yes. So what would be your top marketing tips for someone wanting to really make an impact in their organization that, that you see are typically missed?
1: Yeah, I think focusing in on the quick wins, the low-hanging fruit, whatever you want to call them, something that you can implement quickly and simply that can have an impact almost immediately. So then the business can see the value and sort of say, and I've seen this firsthand, right? I worked for an organization at some point where they liked data. They had data in databases. They had data in spreadsheets, lots and lots of spreadsheets. And at one point uh, I pulled all that data together. I can't really talk about the data specifically, but I pulled all the data together in a dashboard and Minds were blown. I didn't even know you could connect this data plus this data. This has given me something more than what I've seen in the past 30 years. And I'm like, that was a pretty simple drag drop click thing that I did. And it really opened up their eyes because now they're like, well, if that's possible, can we also do this and this and this, right? So show them the art of the possible with a quick win and then If you do that right, and the people that you're working with have an understanding of the value, then you're definitely going to go far in in terms of pushing data throughout the organization.
0: Yes, it can be deceptively simple sometimes what you can actually achieve. And I think maybe that's one of the things we miss as data scientists. We like complexity. We revel in complexity. So the simple is sometimes overlooked for that reason.
1: Yes. Yes. But I also do have to tell you about the flip side of it. And I, this is also something I witnessed where if you don't take the steps to validate the data and make sure that it makes common sense and make sure that your dashboard is what your audience is expecting to see, that can go terribly wrong as well. So even though you might have not have spent too much time on it, you put a dashboard in front of your target audience and they noticed that something that was supposed to be in millions is actually in thousands, right? Like some kind of mess up because you don't understand the actual business domain or the data itself. And then your audience loses trust in, in that dashboard. That's a very, very quick way to lose all trust in and data. It, and it's similar to friends and, you know, trust and friendships where it can take you years to build up that trust. And then one little lie or mess up and they're like, yeah, we don't trust you anymore. So you definitely have to be very careful in terms of making sure that, what you've built is showing, reflecting what actually exists.
0: Yeah. One of my mantras is before you can say that you're right, you've got to make sure you're not wrong. Double check your data, double check your output. Yeah. And, and I think also there's an element here of lifting your, your own output up to a high standard because the example that you just mentioned there with what you thought was very simple of connecting two data sets, uh, to someone else seems like wizardry or or magic and in some cases i think when when we build dashboards it it might seem easy to the data person but for the receiver it it's almost like you've designed a new piece of software and their expectation is that that piece of software is just as well done as your your phone app or your your little application on your computer or whatever no glitches and and high accuracy yeah now kate If we take our uh, long vision glasses on and look out into the future, sort of five, 10 years out, what do you think are going to be the most important data science skills in that period and why?
1: I think we're slowly moving into a space where a lot of the work that, that data scientists currently works on is being automated and being not, not sort of taken away by robots, but slowly being replaced and transformed. Um, so I, I think, you know, for example, data cleaning and even designing great dashboards and data visualizations, those types of skills are still important now. But Looking at the technology, even today, I was I was part of this conference watching sort of what's on the horizon in data visualization. Slowly, those skills are not going to be needed because technology is there to create the dashboards for us. We'll be able to even now ask a question by speaking and say, what were my sales in 2014? And have your computer give you a chart and it, it will populate all your sales for 2014, they'll tell you your sales for before and after and show you a trend line to go along with it if you'd like. And then you can even ask why and what's been happening. So I think we're we're living in a very interesting space, but I think we'll still need data scientists to help connect all those, or maybe data engineers, right? To help connect all those data pipelines, make sure all the data is, is speaking to each other properly, but then also data scientists, data analysts who can interpret some of those results and make sure that what we're putting out there in front of the business actually makes sense. So vetting, validating some of the models that are sitting behind these tools. And I think there's probably skills that are out there that I'm not even thinking of because the the tools that are going to exist five years from now are not even on our horizon. Like we're not even thinking about them right now. So it's such a fun place for us to be in. I, I actually even recently witnessed a demo of a tool where you upload a data set and then instead of sort of creating a chart or looking at the data, it will give you a video of a person. A, a robotically, you know, AI sort of individual that will tell you the story of the data and create the charts in seconds. So you don't actually have to touch anything. You just give them data, and they'll give you a story, which is so cool, right? But you've got to think about all the individuals who are are cramming for their data science boot camps right now, because there's so many of them trying to learn all these skills and. I'm I'm sort of an optimist. I always think like there'll always be a role. I, I even remember when I was I was I studied finance in undergrad and um, I was graduating during the financial crisis. And all of my finance major friends, they're like, "I'm leaving this. I'm gonna do accounting." And I'm like, "Okay, good, good. You guys go." I'm like, "They'll still need a finance person, and, and that's gonna be me, right?" So it's like, I think hold out there, and I think there there's still gonna be demand for data scientists, but the skill sets are just gonna vary.
0: And sort of reading between the lines of what you're saying, there's a potential that we're going to spend less time doing the work, the technical work, and more time educating the stakeholders that are consuming the work. Do you think that's fair to say?
1: Educating, interpreting. I think there's a new role going out there that's kind of like the business data translator, the business data interpreter, where you're working closer with the business, trying to make sure that they understand the data that they're taking actions on. And I think you'll still have those one-off requests where you do have to design very specific dashboards that individuals need to use and doing some research in you know for, for some research departments with data scientists. So I think there'll still be roles, but yeah, like I mentioned, it's just going to shift in terms of what you're focused on, a lot less of the data cleaning, data prep, ETL kind of work.
0: I'm sure that's music to a lot of people's ears anyway, if we can get rid of that.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Now, Kate, what is the most underrated data science skill in your opinion?
1: Underrated data science skill. I guess taking feedback is, is a big deal for me. I think a lot of times you work with professionals who are very, very smart. And you know, you, you alluded to this in, earlier when you said they thrive in complexity And I think sometimes taking a step back and and remembering why we're here and what we're we're meant to be doing in terms of, you know, we're here to a lot of times support the business and really sitting there, listening to their feedback, making sure you incorporate that into the process. And in addition to feedback, I guess I'll also point out to another thing we covered, which is simplicity. I I was talking to somebody, I forgot his name, but he was telling me that Data scientists, specifically those in the PhD program or you know grad school, they are taught some of the most complicated algorithms. Right, they're graded on knowing some of the most complex things in the world. And once they, let's say, leave the the PhD world, they leave, they leave the education, the academic departments or or whatever. They get into a business and they start working. Their focus is on finding the most complex way to do something, because this is what they've been rewarded on for, you know, God knows how many years, but then again, it's, it's really shifting your mindset. So it, the, the skills set here, I guess will be being flexible and trying to provide a solution that can meet that can solve the problem in the simplest way possible.
0: Yeah. I think it's the classic saying that to someone with a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And uh, <laughs> we can all be guilty of that. I think th- this skill of of looking at yourself and uh, stepping back and and going, hang on, a little bit of self awareness there is is an underrated uh, human superpower, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, Kate, what advice would you give to someone starting out the career in data science today?
1: I guess it depends if if they've already been educated in the space, if we go under the assumption that this is maybe a recent grad in data science space and they're trying to get their first job, I think as quickly as possible, trying to get an understanding of the full process of of data science, right, from the data gathering all the way through to cleaning, processing, and and telling your data stories, and um, working with, with the business on the output and results of that process And learning early on what it is that you enjoy doing the most, because life is short to do the things that we don't like doing. So find out what part of the process excites you the most. Like this is what I did early on as well. I learned fairly quickly that I did not enjoy programming that much, even though you do kind of feel really proud of yourself when you write a whole bunch of code and it doesn't break. And you're like, yeah, I did it. But I knew I didn't want to do this eight hours a day, right? I knew that I personally loved the part of data science all, all the way towards the end when every all the data is perfectly structured and we know what we're trying to do. And I would get involved in the data visualization process and making sure the layout is perfect. I can spend eight hours a day formatting, no problem. Now, there are people out there to whom this sounds like torture, right? They're like, no, I don't even want to think about what colors to choose. I just want to clean the data or write the code or extract data. So really understanding what it is that you enjoy doing and then becoming an expert in that specific space whilst understanding the full process. So you know where you fit in and you kind of know what to expect from that earlier stage of the process and what you're striving towards for the later stage of the process, but really becoming an expert in, in that area is what I'd recommend.
0: Nice advice. Now, Kate, I want to shift a little bit back to you, um, because you you have some interesting projects in the pipe that we haven't covered yet, and one of them is uh, you've just started minting your own NFTs. Could you tell us about could yes, you tell I us have. about that and maybe give a bit of a synopsis on what NFTs are for those who don't know and your plans on on where to take this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, I am um, just a couple of weeks into learning about this, you know, what they are. But like I said, the best way to learn something is by doing. So yes, I've minted two NFTs now. They are drawings. One of a business intelligence beaver. And then there is a data data lake house duck, which was just so much fun to draw. And my kids were involved in the process. But essentially, I was inspired by Gary V, who has his friends where he, he has these doodles. And I'm like, oh, this looks like fun. Let me go ahead and explore what an NFT is by creating my own artwork. So I opened an OpenSea account. And to somebody who's not in this space, this might all sound like gibberish. But basically, I did this just to learn about what NFTs are. And the way I plan to implement them in my business are, I was looking into publishing my book, as an NFT, the book on ColorWise. If I don't end up working with the, the publisher that I'm thinking of, I'll likely end up publishing the book as an NFT, which is essentially a token. So for those who don't really understand how this would work, for example, I can I can list the book as a token where, let's say I limit it to 100 individuals that can actually get a copy of this book. But What they could do later on is essentially resell the book on the market and then I, as the original holder of the NFT, get to keep 10% of the profit. So there's like a whole thing that goes behind it. It's all very, very new, but that's one part of, of how I was planning to use them. Then there are the POAPs, which is a proof of attendance protocol that I plan to incorporate into my future conference. Not sure if it's going to be the very next conference because I'm still figuring this stuff out, but essentially it is a token that shows you proof that you've attended an event. Now, the world we're slowly moving towards with this metaverse and all this online presence where it's no longer just social media. You're literally like, you're going to have a little avatar on social media that you buy shirts for. And it's like, it seems very crazy now, but I do think that that's the future we're going towards. So really trying to get ahead of the curve there. And I think it's it's something that's going to be interesting where you know I can issue a, a proof of attendance protocol for everyone who attends the dedicated conference. So then they sort of get this like certificate of, oh yeah, I've been there. And yeah, lots of, lots of fun, still exploring though. So I'm definitely not the person to speak to in terms of explaining most of the stuff since I'm still learning it.
0: Yeah, well, you are learning it. And I think you're still a person to speak to because most people are not learning it. And this is really, really something that is going to change the world, in my opinion. The Web 3.0 movement is uh, so interesting, and we could go down a rabbit hole here, I'm sure, of uh, talking about this for hours. Um, but for listeners, non-fungible tokens, once you start thinking about it a bit creatively, there are so many applications for it that uh, haven't even been thought out yet. And Kate's doing the right thing by simply learning about it, and then the ideas will come. So I encourage anyone to, to look into that and uh, maybe buy your own uh, CryptoPunk and, and give it a shirt if you can afford it. So I, I'll be following that uh, for sure, Kate, your journey with the NFTs. Now, another thing you've just done is uh, you've completed the New York Marathon. So congratulations on that. Thank you. What made you take on that challenge and what have you learned from, from that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this was not my first marathon and also not my first New York City marathon, but this was definitely my most interesting marathon. I have partnered with TCS. They've actually sponsored me to run this, this specific marathon and record my journey of how data plays a role in running. So it was very, very fun, one of the best partnerships I've ever had because you know getting paid to talk about data and running is you know just all my favorite things combined. All in one. And I had a personal goal to beat my personal record for running a marathon, which at that time was five hours and seven minutes and 15 seconds. And then I ended up beating my goal. I I completed this one in four hours, 51 minutes, and 52 seconds. So I basically beat my goal by a lot more than I than I expected. And interestingly, I've been tracking my my training data and really just hoping for the best. But so glad that that run is over. It literally took everything I had throughout the almost five hours of running because my pace is generally a lot slower. And I tend to do a lot of walk running during marathons because I just feel bad for myself. I'm like, Oh, come on. It's okay. You can walk a little, but this time I, for the first time ever, I had an actual pace I was striving for. And every time I stopped, I sort of had to do a little five second countdown in my head where I'm like, okay, you get five seconds to walk, and then you're running. And it was this mental game that I played inside my own head for for about five hours. And just the level of joy I had when I finished before my goal,
0: it was just indescribable. Yeah, nice. And do you think there's anything from that that you take into your life in, in other areas?
1: Yes. Pain is temporary and we only live once. And, you know, when I was running the New York City Marathon, one of my favorite things is the people, the people that are cheering you almost every step of the way. You have huge crowds of people cheering and holding up banners, sometimes very inspirational, sometimes very funny banners. But a lot of those banners that the the people cheering you are holding say things like pain is temporary, but the memory of doing this is forever. And then lots of funny ones in between, but it really helps you go along your journey when you have the right people cheering at you and sort of wanting you to succeed. And I think that's something I carry in in life as well. So one, pain is temporary and you're going to get through this stronger. And then two, making sure that you've got the right individuals that you surround yourself with, those who actually care about your success, who are not there to bring you down, but there to actually cheer you on and help you achieve um, what it is you're looking for.
0: Now, Kate, we're towards the end. I have two more questions for you. Uh, but before we get to those, is there anything else you would like to say to the audience that we haven't covered?
1: Well, yeah, I think we, we did cover it, but I do just want to remind folks to go ahead and check out the dedicated circle, circle.dedicated.com. I, I really want to get as many awesome data professionals in that community as possible to really pull off having the, the biggest, baddest, best data professional community in the world. So go ahead and check it out uh, and, and join us there.
0: I encourage everyone to do that. It carries the ethos that that Kate has built up around her community, which is everyone is giving to each other. So it's a very nice place to be on the internet. Now, Kate, one of the things we do on Leaders of Analytics is we pay it forward. And what that means is uh, I ask you, who would you like to see as the next guest on Leaders of Analytics and why?
1: All right. I think Ravit Jain from the Ravit Show would be a great guest on the show. For those who don't know Ravit, he basically is one of the best brand ambassadors on LinkedIn. Uh, he talks about data literally all day and all night. He, he's based in India. And sometimes I'm like, hey, isn't it like two o'clock in the morning? He's like, it's okay. It's okay. I, I can talk. Do you want to talk about data? And I think his passion really comes through. So I think he'd be a great guest for the show.
0: Great tip. I'll make sure to reach out to him and see if he wants to join the show. And lastly, Kate, where can people find more about you and get a hold of your content? Yeah,
1: I think LinkedIn is probably the main platform. So looking for me under Kate Strashney or under Dedicated, you'll find plenty of content. Then uh, you can also look on YouTube under Dedicated and obviously the Dedicated Circle if you go to circle.dedicated.com.
0: Wonderful. I really encourage everyone to check out Kate and her content and uh, click follow on all of those social media buttons. It won't be a waste of your time, I assure you. Kate Strachny, thank you so much for being on Leaders of Analytics. Really appreciate your time and all the best for your future conferences, NFTs, marathon running, book writing, uh, and general publishing of everything between heaven and earth uh, when it comes to data.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Definitely a pleasure.